The title of the sermon is, How Is That Possible? You know, I'm looking across the sanctuary, and it appears to me that most of you remember life before Amazon Prime. You, you know, back in the day, you used to have to, first you had to wait for the catalog to come in the mail. And then you would look through the catalog and decide if you wanted something out of the catalog. And then you would order it out of the catalog. And then by the time it had arrived, you had forgotten that you'd ordered it. Remember that? I mean, like you placed the order when you were 7 and it showed up when you were 22. And you're like, oh, I, I forgot all about this. I didn't realize that I had ordered this. Um, you know, that, that's the way we used to do things, you know. If you had told me way back then that there would come a day where you could actually, everybody would have a computer in their home or in their pocket, and you could actually pull that computer out and you could place an order and it would be there by the end of the day, I would have said, how is that possible? I mean, if you had told me that the technology exists, that your package might even show up with a drone dropping it on your doorstep, I would have said, how is that possible? Uh, or think back, back in the day when you wanted to listen to a lot of different music. Uh, back in the day, you had to pull out your record player and all of your albums. And so if you wanted to listen to multiple different songs from multiple artists, you would have to change out that record every time you got ready to listen to a new song. And you couldn't really listen to that music when you left, at least the music that you wanted to listen to, unless you took your records and your uh, record player with you. And then all of a sudden, the boom box and cassette tapes came. And then all of a sudden, you were more mobile. So you could have your boom box in one hand and your cassette tapes in the other hand. And you could take that pretty much anywhere you wanted to go. And you could listen to that music. Um, and, and you still had to find it on the cassette tape. But, but, but boy, it was so great. If you had told me way back then that one day there would be this thing called the iPod or your phone, where you could listen to thousands upon thousands of songs at your disposal. You could carry them with you wherever you go, and you could listen to them wherever you would go. I would say, how is that possible? I mean, I just couldn't imagine it. And so I spent some time this week just thinking about how the things that are, that are normal in our life today, even 10 years ago, were not possible. And how, I was like, how in the world do we do this stuff? I'm to the point now, and maybe you are too, that I, I don't really question if anything's possible anymore. I mean, I'm pretty much sure that if somebody wants something to happen, that they'll find a way to make it possible to happen. And yet there's this one area where I still sort of struggle. I still ask that question, how is it possible? And it's when we talk about the Trinity. You know, today, in addition to being Memorial Day weekend in the life of the church, uh, it is also, and also Trinity Sunday, where we're supposed to celebrate the doctrine of the Trinity. But how is it possible that God could be three persons and yet one person. How, how is it possible that, that God could still be in heaven, but yet God was, came to earth? Uh, how is that possible? 
Well, well, John Wesley uh, uh, said a lot about the Trinity, but one of the things that he said that I actually remember well about the Trinity is at one point Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement and what became the United Methodist Church, said, you know, the Trinity is not even completely understood by the wisest of humanity. It is just hard to get our minds wrapped around three persons, one substance, all of those things. What does that mean? And if you go to the Bible and you try to look for a clear, concise doctrine of the Trinity, guess what? You're not going to find it. I mean, there are, there are scriptures where it refers to God as Father, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit. And we get a sense from reading all of those scriptures collectively what each one of those groups does. But, but there really isn't this clear, concise doctrine of the Trinity in the church. It, it is just a tough concept to understand. And yet, in the scripture that we read this morning, in addition for it being uh, Memorial Day weekend, in addition to it being Trinity Sunday, it's also most famous passage of scripture in the world Sunday because we read John 3, 16. And if you look at all of this chapter, John chapter 3, you, you do see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we learn some things about those three uh, persons of the Trinity that might be helpful for us as we observe this Trinity Sunday. And so that's where our scripture, where we're going to focus. And the first thing that I would like to say when I'm thinking about how is this possible is what the scripture today says about new birth. Uh, it says that new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. New birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now this man Nicodemus, he is a Pharisee. Uh, that means he has set himself apart. He's in a small group of, of Jewish people that have uh, been studying nothing but the Torah, God's law, and they are trying to imp implement God's law in every single facet of their life. Uh, so th they've even so dedicated to the law that they have separated themselves from other people. There were never more than 6,000 Pharisees, Jewish historians say, at any one time. And so these people were devoted to studying and doing God's law. But not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, he was also one of the rulers of the Jewish council. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. It was, uh, I guess the best way to say it is, they were the Jewish Supreme Court. They had jurisdiction over all matters related to Jewish people. And so this is a man that had not only devoted his life to separating himself and following and doing the law, but he was also the one that made rulings on the law for other people. And we're also told later, we get the sense that Nicodemus is a rich guy. Uh, we don't see Nicodemus after John chapter 3 until the end of the gospel. And that's when he comes back and helps to prepare Jesus' body for burial. And we're told that he actually brought a hundred pounds of spices to prepare God's Jesus' body for burial. And, and this would have been only something that a rich or wealthy person could have done. So the chances are that Nicodemus was a, a very wealthy person. Well, 
Nicodemus, despite being a Pharisee who'd studied the law his whole life and was seeking to do the law in every aspect of his life, despite being a part of the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, passing rulings on the law for other people, and despite being a wealthy guy, still saw something in Jesus that Nicodemus' wealth, his status, his position, his knowledge could not match. And so he goes to Jesus in the middle of the night and he says to Jesus, we have uh, know that because of the signs that you have done, that you have come from God. And, and what Jesus says in response to that statement of Nicodemus probably surprised Nicodemus. Because Jesus says to Nicodemus that you won't see the kingdom of God until you are born anew, born again, born afresh. Now, if anybody knew the, the kingdom, about the kingdom of God, that wanted to see the kingdom of God, it would have been Nicodemus. This is a man who has devoted his entire life to it. And so he's keenly interested in the kingdom of God. And yet he is being told that despite your knowledge, despite your position, uh, despite your intellect, despite the rulings that you make for other people, you will not know the kingdom of God until you are born anew. Being born anew is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's something when it happens, you not only have been forgiven of your sin, but your heart has been cleansed and renewed it's something that you cannot buy, that you cannot earn. New birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now the second thing about the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity that's available to us in this text is this new birth of the Holy Spirit is secured by Jesus the Son. You see, Nicodemus is wise, he is very learned, he's very smart, he's very intelligent, and yet he still doesn't understand everything that he needs to know. And boy, is Nicodemus in for a treat today. Because he's actually having a conversation with someone who does understand. And he completely understands. And why does Jesus understand? Because Jesus has done something that no one else has done. He has actually been with God in heaven. And, and he has been at the right hand of God the Father. He has had conversation with God the Father. He has now come to earth uh, so that we might understand more clearly who God is and what God has called us to do. And, and John says that Jesus died so that we might have life. Uh, this, then he then references this very unusual passage of Scripture in Numbers chapter 21. Maybe you remember the story. Um, the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians and, and they had cried out to God and God finally heard their, their cries and, and freed them from slavery and is leading them to the promised land and, and it's taking longer than they think it should and so what do they start doing? They start complaining. They start critiquing. They start fussing and saying, you know what, we were better off when we were slaves in Egypt. At least we got to eat a good meal. Uh, at least we had a warm place to sleep at night. Uh, and, and they just began complaining. 
And so they complained so much that finally God sent a plague of snakes. And these snakes came and they began to bite people. And some of the people that had been bitten began to die. And, and there's something about being bitten by a snake and dying that gets people to see the error of their ways and maybe turn back to God. And so these people then began to beg for mercy from God because they've been bitten and are dying by these snakes. And so God instructs Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to hold that pole up, and the people that have been bitten by these snakes can look at that snake on the pole, and they can find healing. And John says that Jesus' death on the cross is meant to be a lot like that. Because you and I are poisoned by sin. And what Jesus came to do on the cross is that He came to secure the new birth that comes to us through the Spirit because He died in our place. He took upon Himself what we deserved. And when we go and look to God in faith, when we look at Jesus exalted high on the cross, we who have been poisoned by our sin, we too can find healing just like the Israelites could find healing when they were poisoned by the venom of the snakes. So, the Holy Spirit is what works in us for the new birth. But this new birth that's available to us through the Holy Spirit is secured by Jesus by taking the punishment that we deserved upon Himself. And then the third person of the Trinity is God the Father. John says that this new birth that we is ours to receive is the gift of God the Father. And this is where that verse, John 3.16, comes in. God so loved the world that He gave. God gives us this gift of the new birth. Uh, God so loved, this would have been an amazing, astonishing concept for Nicodemus. People back in those days didn't see gods as loving beings. Gods were vicious. Gods were petty. Gods were vindictive. Your job as a human being was to try to appease the gods, to keep them fat and happy, because you didn't want to see what would happen to you if you didn't. It really wasn't about love at all. It was just about placating the gods. And so that Jesus would say that God the Father is love was a radical concept. They could not believe. But that's who God the Father is. And it says, for God so loved who? God so loved the world. No one is outside of God's love. No one is outside the circle of God's great love. It's not just for people in our church, but people from the church down the road, as Miss Nancy said. It's not just for the people on the right side of the sanctuary. It's for the people on the left side of the sanctuary. It's not just for people who go to church. It's for people who don't go to church. God so loved the world. There are no exceptions. And you can tell how much someone loves someone else by what they're willing to give up in order to communicate that love. 
And so that Jesus was willing to give up his very life as an expression of his great love for us communicates just how much God loves the world. The kingdom of God is not just a future reality. That's what Jesus wanted Nicodemus to see. That you can experience the kingdom of God in the present moment if you will allow yourself to be born anew. If you will repent and be cleansed from your sin and if you will allow the Holy Spirit of God to come into your life and to give you power to do things that you could not or perhaps would not do otherwise. So often we think of faith as a cherry on top so that when we die, we get to go to heaven and enjoy that eternal life that John talked about. But make no mistake about it, if that is the only reason why we are involved in faith, we are settling for far less than what God intended. God wants us to experience the kingdom here on this earth in this present moment. And he says that at the end of the day, what will allow that to happen is not our knowledge, not our power, not our position, not our status, but it is new birth. A new birth that is the work of the Holy Spirit. A new birth that has been secured by the Son. A new birth that is the gift of the Father.